right, so Psalm chapter 80, and we're going to read the whole chapter. It's not as long as it seems. Probably the most Bible reading you've done all week, so you'll be all right. All right, here we go. All right. Psalm chapter 80, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God, let, the face, let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts, let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You, you cleared the ground for it and took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the, the mighty cedars with its branches, it sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see, have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand Planted, And for the son whom you made strong for yourself, they have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. This is an interesting psalm, kind of tucked in this incredible long book of poetry and prayers. And this is a, a psalm of prayer. This is a psalm of lament. This is also a psalm of corporate prayer where they are asking God to do something. If you notice some of the repetition that happened in this chapter, it's restore us. In verse 3, it's restore us. In verse 7, it's restore us. In verse 19, it's restore us. And the repetition of, oh God, let your face shine upon us. It's, there's plenty of repetition. And this is quite honestly a chapter of a people who have realized that they have turned their back against God and now they see that they are in desperate need of God to do something in the nation of Israel. Um, just to give you just some context of what's happening, most scholars would say that this one chapter is where the Assyrians are coming into the northern part of Israel and taking over. And so finally, these Israelites, they finally sense that, hey, oh, now we need God. They're lonely. They're, they're desperate. They've realized that necessarily God has not been the one that's turned away from them. It's them who have turned away from God. And so finally, they, they get this sense of realization that, oh, now we need the Lord. 
Isn't that how it always works for us? Isn't that how it works in our daily lives? We don't really need God when we're kind of on that mountaintop experience, when things are like kind of tracking in our lives, when things are going really, really good. It's when the trauma hits. It's when you feel lonely. It's when you feel like you keep hitting your head on a brick wall. It's in those moments where you find yourselves like the children of Israel. God, awaken our hearts back to you. And that's what this is. This is a prayer for God to awaken or reawaken their hearts back to him. God has not left them. I mean, I would suggest that what my theology teaches is that if you are a child of God, your loving father's not gonna leave you. I would just suggest the opposite. It's you who are turning your back towards the Lord. This awakening, it isn't anything that you can manifest or manufacture is a good word, right? We sometimes think of awakenings as, as where we have to pre-plan a three-day gathering. Do y'all do that in Utah? Like down in the South, man, like you see like the big signs, the Coca-Cola signs with like the giant marker written on it, revival, three-day event. And like our kind of idea of this is like some really large dude like yelling at you, manipulating you to come down the altar and say this prayer. And and kind of like with covered in, you're going to burn in hell if you don't. Like he's just kind of scaring you out of hell, manipulating you. Come on, y'all grew up in the South and there's some whack stuff down there, okay? If you didn't grow up down there, maybe God saved you from some things, right? That's how it is. That's kind of what our idea of revival is, but that's not what it is. An awakening, I, I like that word better. An awakening isn't something that you can manufacture. It's something that we desperately need in our lives. It's something that we desperately need in our city, and it's something that you desperately need in our country. That word comes from Shaya, this, this word awakening, and it, and it literally translates as in the Hebrew to bring back to life or to be restored to previous conditions. And I just want to ask you a question, like, do you want an awakening in your life? Do you feel like maybe there's an Assyrian army at your feet? Maybe not the Assyrians, right? Because they're all dead. But the proverbial Assyrians who are at your front door, and now you've got this sense of now I need God. That may be some of us here. And I just have a few questions that I'm going to ask as I just kind of draw out a few things out of this chapter. My first question is, do we understand our need for an awakening? So God brought these people, and I would suggest that, that God brought these people, the Israelites, to this place of desperation. God brought them there. Many times when we are kind of faced with issues in life, trauma in life, don't we, don't we all just kind of go to the default? Well, like, that devil, he's just attacking me. You know, the devil's doing this. Isn't that kind of our, our, like, it's just the enemy coming against me? Right? Maybe I'm alone in that. But our knee-jerk reaction when something's not going right, we always just want to point the blame at the old devil. And Satan's over there like, y'all ain't bothering you, leave me alone. Maybe, perhaps, God is bringing you to that place of desperation. Why? 
so that you can see your need for him to reawaken your heart. Sometimes it may not be the devil behind every bush. Sometimes it could be God bringing you to those low places just so you can have this reawakening of your heart. God brings them to this point where they are finally on their knees. They've grown comfortable. They've grown lax. They've grown like really just in their convenience. And here God brings the nation of Israel to their knees. Here's what I would suggest. And here's my one cultural observation of the sermon, right? I think that's where the Church of America is. We have an enemy that is at our front door. The enemy is disguised as a woke mob. The enemy is disguised as many things. There are devastations all around us. If you scroll through the news, it's nothing but doom and gloom. Like just yesterday, you woke up. If you scrolled through the news like, you, like I do, I'm a nerd at kind of when, when it comes to news. Um, what happened? An earthquake in Haiti, killing hundreds if not thousands of people. Everywhere you turn, there's some type of devastation going on in the news. You, you read about, well, you don't really read about it because nobody's reporting on it, but there right now, there's more persecution going on in the Christian church than there has ever been in the history of mankind. Nigeria, Sudan, in Iran, in China, and perhaps, yes, some of that is demonic. Perhaps, yes, some of that is a satanic attack on the church. But maybe, and just maybe, some of that may be God trying to reawaken the hearts of the church of America. Why? Because we find ourselves just like the children of Israel. We're comfortable in our wealth. We're comfortable. Well, some of you may be comfortable in your wealth. I ain't comfortable in wealth. Uh, some, we're comfortable in our lifestyles. We're comfortable in all things America. And maybe God will bring you to your knees so that you can remember that you need him. They're, they find themselves in this point where they miss God, right? Where, where they've, they've finally started missing him. You ever miss somebody? And that could either go bad or good, right? I have a, a three-year-old and, you know, I, I use him as examples every Sunday because he gives me a lot of sermon materials. Um, it used to be my oldest son, but now he's just kind of like sitting in the background, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just going to let Ezra be the guy now, you know? He comes to us almost every day and he asks, can I please go spend the night with my Nana and Papa? And it breaks our hearts. You know why? Because Nana and Papa are 2,000 miles away. I want to say yes most of the time. Part of that is from an unsanctified part of my parenting and my walk with the Lord, right? Oh, parents, y'all don't look at me like I'm unholy all of a sudden. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you just need your space. Okay, he gets this. There were moments where, you know, Nana and Papa were always around, so he didn't miss them. But now that they're not in his life a lot, he misses them. Maybe that's what God 
is doing for the children of Israel. Maybe that's what God is doing with some of you. You don't feel God's presence, like you don't, you don't get a sense that he's there. Maybe he's doing that so that you can miss God and so that you find yourselves where they are in this chapter in the book of Psalm, where they are pleading for the Lord to return to them. This other reason why I believe that there is no activity and movement of God is because of sin. They say in verse four, God was angry with their prayers. Maybe the other reason why you aren't getting a sense that God is there with you is because your sin has separated you from him. There's a theologian and an incredible preacher, um, and he's dead. I don't know why I always quote the dead guys, all right? Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he said this. This is incredible. When you have an awakening, you see men and women groaning, agonizing under the conviction of sin. They are so conscious of their unworthiness and their vileness that they feel that they cannot live. They do not know what to do with themselves. They cannot sleep. They are in agony of the soul. The children of Israel, they find themselves right there where he's talking about the agony of the soul. God, you're angry with our prayers and he's angry with their prayers because of the sin. Maybe God is bringing you to this awareness that you need to be in because there may be some sin that you need to deal with. Another question that I had from this text is, are our hearts prepared for an awakening to happen? Now, I think that our hearts are prepared for for one of two things to happen. We're either prepared for something good to happen or we're prepared for something bad to happen. How many of you find yourselves mostly on uh, the latter part? Like we always expect the worst to happen. Like we are a people of apocalypse and doom, are we not? And it's not really our fault. I'm not blaming you, I'm not blaming myself. You know, it's partly to do with the culture and the media around us. You know, here's, here's a disease that's going to kill every single one of you. And it's like they're gloating about it. Recently, um, some scientists in, at MIT, um, I found this really funny, but it's not funny. It's just because I have a sick sense of humor. They suggested that society is going to collapse upon itself within 20 years. You know, when I read that, I was like, I was like, okay, Felicia, bye. You know, ain't nobody got time for that kind of news right now. You're going to tell us that after what we've just been through for the past year? That we're going to collapse and implode upon ourselves? Like, can you just keep that to yourself, please? We don't need to hear that. We are a society where we are always ready for the apocalypse or the doom to happen. But might I suggest... Can we as a church be the people who's anticipating something good to happen? I don't want to be the guy who's the doom preacher, the one setting off all the alarms, the one who's going, that hell is upon us and here comes the beast, y'all. I don't want to be that guy. And I'm not that guy. I mean, I hear preachers. Okay, 
soapbox edition of Matthew Thor's preaching. I hear preachers saying, don't get the facts, you're going to get the mark of the beast. Dude, shut up and sit down, please. You are, you are biting into this narrative of culture that is nothing but doom. And it has set this in our hearts. God does not want you in that position in your life. Might we be a church that's anticipating God to do something good? Are our hearts wanting? Are we prepared for this? And this word, what I mean by prepared is, is where they found themselves in this chapter. This is repentance. This is them saying, we turn away from our sin and we turn our face to you, God. What sin in your life is that that you need to deal with? You want to experience an awakening of your heart? Maybe there's some repentance in your life. Maybe it's not even in your life. Maybe there's some repentance that you need to do with some other people. Spouses, hello. Maybe it's some parents. Maybe it's some, some coworkers. Yeah, what is that in your heart that you need to get right before the Lord? You want to see an awakening of the Holy Spirit to come into your life and in this church? Then there's some sins we've got to deal with in our own lives. Amen? Now, here's the other thought I have with this. And so this is going to be a longer thought, okay? And here's what I know about the Lord. God is always willing. Are you willing to ask for it? God is willing. Are you willing to ask for it? Where's the zeal? I think instead of zeal, we have apathy. God is always willing. Are you willing to ask for it? Now, that is not to say that awakening is contingent upon you, okay? And thank God. But it is also to say that maybe an awakening is contingent upon your prayers. I don't know if it's either or. I don't know if it's one or the other. I just know that if I read through the scriptures and when people called upon the Lord, guess what the Lord would do? You think he would just sit up there in the heavens and be like, oh, shut up with you again. You just pull of cess. Like, I can't stand you. I loathe you. Do you think that's what God is doing to his children? Like, here's some parenting advice. Do you want to raise a criminal and a murderer? Respond to your child like that. Like, could you stop talking to me, child? Go back to the attic, right, where it's 2,000 degrees. I don't like you. No, that's not what our loving God does for us. Like, I am so dramatic when it comes to these things. Like, no, that's not what God loves for you. That's not what he wants for you. That's not how he would respond. Man, you read through the scriptures and you see a people who are desperate for the Lord to reawaken them. And you know what God does for them? He responds. Will God bring an awakening without you? Yes. Will God bring an awakening with your prayers? Yes. Are you willing to ask him? And it leads me to this question of what am I asking God to do in my own life? I think sometimes like, y'all saw me, I just almost fell and it's okay. Sometimes I think there's a tragedy in our own lives where 
God has a lot for us. And we never see what God has for us because we're just too busy either just self-loathing or, or just kind of navel-gazing like God would never do that for me. Sometimes I think we just, we're just afraid to ask God to do something. What is it in your life that you need to God to do? Ask him for it. Now, this isn't a blank check. Please hear me because you hear this a lot in, in the Christian world. This isn't your opportunity to ask God for the million dollars. All right, that has nothing to do with an awakening. Now, if God does that, praise the Lord. Make sure you tithe it, amen? That's, this is not what this is about. This is, my child has been away from the Lord. God, would you please save? My marriage is busted up, broken. God, would you please save? And I know God would answer because, because scripture would say, is the arm of the Lord too short that he can't save? It's a rhetorical question. No. I always get this image of like a Tyrannosaurus Rex, like God has got these like tiny little arms. And sometimes we think that. Sometimes we think God's got these tiny little arms that he couldn't save this person. For years, my family prayed for my sister. All right, I'll give you a little li- a story of my family. My family, like we were raised in church, like literally, like I was almost born on an altar. That is no joke. My mom had started going into labor on Mother's Day. And I've been born literally almost, I've been raised in church my whole life and so were my siblings. One of my my siblings, kind of the black sheep of the bunch, took a different turn, a life, a dark life of drugs, sex, alcohol, everything you could name it, she was in it for decades. And finally, we got to this point where we tried to stop saving her and we just started to plead, God, would you save her? Because we knew that the arm of the Lord was not too short to save. I mean, you know what happened? Yeah, he's powerful and he's mighty to save, and he saved her. And I know you have your stories, and I know you have your prayers that you're praying, God, would you save this person? Would you save that person? God is mighty to save, and he will do it. Sometimes I think we find ourselves, you know, we'll we'll ask God to do things, but they're, and we'll call them small things, but you know, they're, they're just kind of minute things, right? We think that God is in some type of scarcity of his resources of salvation and, and blessings. We, in fact, we, sometimes we think it's God's like got the dead of America, that God's in debt or God has this scarcity of resources that if I were to ask God, he would just be so unhappy with me. But that's not God at all. I'm reminded of a passage in Luke chapter 18, one of my favorite, favorite passages. Luke chapter 18, 35, you can just write this down. It, it says this, as Je- this is the story of Jesus in the gospel. It says, as he drew near to Jericho, 
A blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, hey, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And so the blind man cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked and tell him, man, sit down, be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And he came near and he asked him, this is, this is funny to me. This is why it's so, one of my favorite passages. What do you want me to do for you? <laughs> he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people when they saw it gave praise to God. Now, here's an interesting thing. We know uh, Jesus, fully God, fully man. We, we know that God, Jesus has this inside and he's sovereign and he knows all things. Why on earth would Jesus ask a blind man, what do you need? That is the, excuse me, Lord. That's the dumbest question. It just seems stupid, doesn't it? He's blind. That's insane. Why would Jesus ask a blind man, is there anything I can do for you? Yes, there's something you can do for me. Nah, man, can you just give me a cheeseburger real quick? How about a blanket or a pillow? You know, these rocks just really aren't cutting it. It's making my back do some weird things. Oh, he's like, Jesus, give me my, I want my sight back. I think we fall into this category where we think Jesus is just going to, he's not too powerful enough to give us our sight back, so to speak. So we ask Jesus for the tiny little cheeseburger. When Jesus could have given you the awakening that you really needed. Let me ask you this one more time. What are you asking Jesus to do in your life? Well, I just need Jesus to get me by. Maybe you do. But surely there's something big that you're missing in your life that you need God to do for you. What are you asking God to do in your life? There's a couple of other repetitions that are happening in this passage when they say, make your face shine upon us. Now, this is a powerful prayer for them. Make your face shine upon us. You could tell a lot about a, a person by the facial expressions they make. Now I'm super animated. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. My wife accuses me a lot of times of like looking like I'm the most uninterested, hateful person in the world. It's PBF, permanent Baptist face. <laughs> like I just, it looks like I hate the world and I hate you. Inside, I have so much joy. <laughs> And I'm like, what are you talking about, woman? Like, I'm loving life. She's like, well, your face isn't necessarily showing that. <laughs> we could communicate a lot with our face, communicate a lot with our facial expressions. In fact, my children know that when the brows go up, SmackDown's about to happen. It, it is often interrupted, especially with my three-year-old. When he looks at me, he's like, dad, do I look like you? I'm like, okay, moment ruined, go on about your business. God, give us the look of delight is what they're praying. 
God, let your face shine on us with joy. God, shine your light on us. God, shine your glory on us. Not power, so to speak. Your light. God, shine us. Show us who you are. You know what they're praying? This is my take on it, and I believe other scholars would agree with me. God, give us Jesus. Give us the Messiah. God, shine Jesus on us now. We are long, remember, they're in this place of desperation. So suddenly this angst of we need the Messiah to come. God, show us your glory. And we know the glory of God was revealed through Jesus Christ. They're pleading, God, show us. Jesus, we just need Jesus. They're not asking for power. They're not asking for wealth. They're not asking for health. They're just asking for the revelation of God to shine upon them. If you notice verse 15, and I'm going to close in just a second. If you notice in verse 15, the stock that your right hand planted and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. Who is this shoot or son coming? Who is this light and, and face to shine and this light to shine on them? Who is this that they're talking about and longing for? It's the Messiah. It's the Christ. This isn't just a prayer for an awakening. This is a prayer for them to be redeemed from the power of death and sin. This is a prayer for them to be awakened spiritually in their heart. This is a prayer for the Messiah to come. Can I just ask you one more time? What are you asking God for in your life? We so desperately need Jesus in our lives more than anything. What are you asking King Jesus to do in your life? I could tell you what I'm asking God to do. I'm asking God to grow us spiritually, grow us in number, grow an army of believers that would see a spiritual insurrection of the Holy Spirit penetrate the hearts of Cedar City. That's what I'm pleading God to do. That God would awaken every heart to the glory of his son, Jesus Christ. I'm praying that God would save and be mighty to save in your family's lives. I'm praying that God would restore broken relationships in this church. I'm praying God would woo and call back the children who have been lost in their sins. I'm praying that our parents would return to Christ and turn to Jesus. What are you praying for? Because I know Jesus can do it. And he's more of a God who wants to provide you with just the proverbial cheeseburger. He's the God who can bring the sight. He's the God that can bring dead people to life who are dead in their sins and transgressions and by the grace and faith in Jesus Christ, bring them to life. God's willing. Are you willing to ask? God, restore. God, let your face shine. 
upon us. Thank you.